0: you got your Bibles. I hope you do. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are some in the seat back there in front of you, or you can just pull out your smartphone and you can turn on your Bible. Uh, Google your way over to the Gospel of John chapter 11 this morning as we're going to continue through the Gospel of John uh, in the months ahead uh, with a series that I'm calling Chasing Life. This past week, uh, I I do want to give a word of thanks uh, to a group of people this past week who did a, an awesome job of pulling together our Senior Adult Lifestyle Festival on Thursday. Uh, we had over 30 vendors, uh, people from the community, organizations from the community, everything from medical offices uh, to other uh, resources that are available for senior adults in our community. Thanks, uh, uh, to our TNT leadership group that pulled that together. And then all of you who attended and, and those of you who took an opportunity to invite a friend, maybe that uh, a neighbor that you've got that uh, doesn't, isn't plugged into a particular church or was looking for some resources in their life, is a great opportunity. It was good to see a lot of you here on Thursday. It was a great ministry opportunity and it, it just... Is uh, You know, every day that you walk through in the life of a church, whether it's a senior adult lifestyle festival on Thursday morning or on Wednesday night I was with the teenagers uh, in Revolution teaching their Bible study for them, or whether it's in the middle of a day where you sit down with a, a friend in the life of the church that just needs some counsel and some guidance and a little bit of what do we do next in, in their life, I, I, I find that there is this common denominator among all of us Uh, That the life we have is most likely not the life that we want. We know that there's something more to it. We know that there's something larger, that there's something grander than oftentimes what it feels like is is just the survival mode that a lot of us get into. You wake up tomorrow morning on Monday, and whether it is that you're retired or whether you're still in your work years, whether you've got preschoolers in the home or whether you've got preschoolers for great-grandkids, Uh, There is just this kind of idea that we get into of, I just got to get through this next day. And here in the Gospel of John, there presents to us a portrait and a story that happens in the life of Jesus that overshadows all of the mundane things that happen in our lives, all the little things that seem to annoy us, all the stuff that gets under our skin. And we feel like somebody made a decision, or somebody did something to us, or something happened in our life that didn't go quite right. And then we encounter a story like this in the Gospel of John, chapter 11, where a guy actually dies who is a close friend of Jesus, and, and, and wondering, well, what is Jesus going to do about this? This is one of those stories that brings hope and help and transformation into our lives that, that, we, that we discover that in all of our chasing and running after the stuff of the world that we think might change us, that we discover once again that it's Jesus who has been chasing us the whole time, that He's the one who's been coming after us. John chapter 11 gives us this story, this instance in Jesus' life where He relieves human suffering for both the reasons that we think are very obvious and for a reason that is uh, largely eternal. So I I just want to take a few moments and work through this passage. It's going to take us a little while to get through it. Uh, So just uh, if you got your Bible open, I hope you do, or your your phone turned to there. Uh, Let me just begin at verse 1, and I'm going to read through this whole uh, story uh, of Lazarus' death, Jesus' appearing on the scene, and then His resurrection. It says, Now a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary, and his, her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped His feet with her hair, and it was her brother Lazarus who was so sick. Now this is a, 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 this is a very controversial moment. In the life of of Jesus's ministry, where he was in a home and and it was a very nice kind of neat, clean uh, appearance of Jesus, where he was visiting the home of some religious people, and Martha comes in, who is apparently a woman of ill reputation, and and she comes in and she has a very expensive. Uh, box of of perfume and she breaks the box and she pours the perfume on his feet and she actually doesn't have a towel so she she wipes and washes the feet of Jesus with this perfume with her hair and and at one point some of the religious elites uh, are insulted by this whole uh, episode and 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 they say if Jesus even knew uh, who this woman really was he wouldn't even let her touch him And, and Jesus has to rebuke and correct them this is this woman who has now become a very close follower of Jesus, and apparently actually a close friend, the whole family is a close friend of Jesus. It says in verse 3, so the sisters sent a message to him saying, Lord, the one you love is sick. So not like a guy that you kind of know, an acquaintance that you, you know, shook hands with one time, somebody who sat in the crowd while you were teaching, but the one you love. This is somebody who is relationally close to Jesus, Verse 4, when Jesus heard it, He said, The sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Lazarus, uh, now, Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So, when He heard that He was sick, He stayed two more days in the place where He was. And then after that, He said to the disciples, Let's go to Judea again. What a, what a bizarre thing for Jesus to say, for Jesus to do. You know, this is the one that Jesus loves. He's just gotten word that Lazarus is, is very ill. He's sick, I and mean, they've sent word that there's something horrifically wrong. And, it, and then it says, so Jesus stayed where he was. He, he just stayed put. Not so Jesus jumped up and took off, but instead he's got this great eternal purpose for all of it. Verse eight, Rabbi, the disciples told him, just now the Jews tried to stone you and you're going there again? I mean we were just there they said and and they tried to they tried to murderize you right there in the middle of the street. Uh, they tried to execute you for uh, religious heresy and for uh, crimes against the Roman Empire. They you know you're you're telling everybody that you're lord that you're messiah and, and they tried to not just not just have you uh, killed in the street but like In a bloody, brutal, incredibly painful way, they're going to throw rocks at you until you died. This is where you want to go. Verse 9, aren't there 12 hours in a day, Jesus answered. If anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks during the night, he does stumble because the light is not in him. And he said this, and then he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I'm on my way to wake him up. And then the disciples said to him, Oh, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll get well. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death. But they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus then told them plainly, Lazarus has died. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe but let's go to him. I, again, you know, what a bizarre thing to say. I'm glad he's dead. I, because, but Jesus, again, has this big eternal purpose. He has this purpose that he has for their life and for the life of many people. He said, I'm glad that I wasn't there because what's about to happen is going to rock everybody's world. And verse 16 is a, a great little uh, insightful moment into the life of one of the disciples that we normally give a really hard time to. Then Thomas... Called Twin, although we usually call him Doubting Thomas. Then Thomas said to his fellow disciples, "Well, let's go too, so that we can die with him. You know, if Jesus is going to go back and he's going to get stoned in the street, and and we we're putting we we've pushed all in. Now that's a a, uh, that's a gambling term that I know that none of you are familiar with. I've read about it (laughs) in books. We are." to use another gambling term, pot committed. I mean, we I, again, I, I like to read a lot, all right? So, so we're all in on this thing. And so if Jesus is going to go and he's going to die, well, let's go with him because we've decided that we have found life and meaning and purpose with Jesus. Verse 17, when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus has already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. Now, this is important because it, it's, it, it gives a little bit of commentary about Mary and Martha that, that they have moved from being kind of outlier, maybe uh, very uh, maliciously attacked by the religious community, to people who had gained some kind of respect. People had. I mean, two miles to us is like, well, that's no big deal. It's just two miles just right over there. I get in my car, I drive two miles in the matter of a a minute or so, depending on how you drive. Um, But for people to walk two miles in order to go and grieve with another family, that was a big deal. And so all of these people had gathered around Mary and Martha to grieve and to mourn the loss of Lazarus verse 20, as soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. And then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. And Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She gets theological on him. I mean, rather than being in the moment, experiential, this is actually what's happening, she thinks, well, Jesus is making a big theological declaration that at the end of days, when the judgment happens, that all of the righteous are going to rise to life, and they're going to dwell forever in in the presence of God. And she said, well, I know that, but Jesus obviously has something else in mind. Verse 25 through 27 are verses I've read Uh, It feels like a million times, Uh, and I think about it very often whenever I am given the honor of officiating the, the funeral service of a believer. It says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. What a, what a moment. You know, she has, you know, pitched out the big theological judgment day, end of days. Yeah, I know that he's going to resurrect. I know that he's going to have life. He followed you, you know, in, in the afterlife. Yeah, I, I get that, that there's this resurrection thing that happens and but Jesus as he always does he personalizes it once again and he doesn't he 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 refuses to let her think well god's got this treasure chest up in heaven and he opens up the lid every once in a while and he rummages through it when you're hurting and he he rummages through it and he finds peace and he he doles it out or he rummages through it and he finds grace and he doles it out and he rummages through it and he you know, when you feel ostracized, He feels love, and He finds it, and he, he doles it out. These are all things that come from the very nature and the character of who God is. They're not little separate widgets that He's got stored away in some kind of heavenly Tupperware uh, in, you know, in the afterlife. For Jesus, resurrection is not this third-person thingamabob that is floating around the heavenlies. He said, I am The resurrection and the life. The very power of resurrection and life is not something that I store up in heaven. It is is within who I am as Lord and God and King and Creator and Messiah. Uh, The resurrection and the life that you think is going to happen in eternity is standing right in front of you, is what Jesus is trying to communicate here to her. Verse 28 Having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And as soon as Mary heard this, she got up and quickly and went to him. And Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. and They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. And as soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet And told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. In verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? Again, there's this skepticism, cynical nature of humanity about who Jesus was, who Jesus is. Now, the, earlier in the, in the narrative that we have of this instance in Jesus' life, it tells us that, that Jesus doesn't, uh, get, he doesn't arrive there until Lazarus has been dead for four days. That's not just a random detail that's thrown into the passage. Uh, In this ancient culture, even among the Jewish, there was kind of this mythical, mystical idea that when you died, that your spirit would hover around your grave for the first three days. And that resurrection was still possible if the right mystic or magician or sorcerer could show up that they could somehow uh, reinfuse your physical body with your spirit that was still hovering around. Jesus, I think, very intentionally waits to the fourth day to show up so that there is absolutely no earthly religious hope uh, of a of a physical resurrection. Uh, Jesus waits until he is the only option here, and, and the and the group stands around and they question. They're like we. We believe that this guy is magical and powerful, and he's done all sorts of cool tricks out on the streets of, uh, of, our, of our cities. Why couldn't he have shown up? Why couldn't he have done something? But remember, Jesus has a big eternal reason for why he's doing this. And it says there in verse 38, we're almost to the end. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. In those ancient uh, places, uh, they didn't dig six feet down into the, into the earth and put your body into a, into a coffin of some sort and lower it down and cover it up. Instead, they would dig into the side of hills uh, where they would create uh, the, these caves that had uh, essentially shelves uh, where bodies would be wrapped and mummified and they would be laid in and they would roll stones, very large stones in front of the entrances to the tombs, uh, a, a, a team of uh, engineers from uh, Georgia Tech uh, once estimated a few years ago that the, the, the size of the stone that was rolled in front of the tomb where Jesus uh, supposedly was laid uh, weighed about 2,000 pounds. So this was a, a major thing that would happen. It wasn't just a small stone, but this was a, a major enterprise then when Jesus says, remove the stone, this was going to take a little bit of, uh, of, of muscle, and this was not just something that was going to be easily done. Some guys had to get in there and, and heft it away. It says, "Jesus, remove, remove the stone, Jesus said there in verse 39, and Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there's already a stench because he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Again, this is, uh, we read these, these verses so quickly, so easily. Uh, again, picture in your mind, what is it that Jesus is about to promise here? You're going to see the glory of God. In, in, in all of the Scriptures, there's only a few people who see, witness visibly in this realm the glory of God. And Jesus says to these, uh, you know, very middle-class kind of middle-class kind of people, you're going to get to see the very glory of God put on display here in just a moment. Just hang on because I'm about to blow your mind. Verse 41, so they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this, so that they may believe you sent me. Here's the reason why Jesus is doing this again. He wants to, to re the idea into their minds that the reason that he's doing this, this is one more proof, this is one more evidence that he has been sent by the Father in heaven to be the Messiah. And after he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. Bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth, and Jesus said to them, Unwrap him and let him go. Well, I want you to see really clearly in this passage that, that this is a story of a, of a human resurrection. Jesus deals with the real, present, and persistent problems of the world. You have real, present, and persistent problems in your life. And throughout the Gospels, Jesus is relieving the suffering of people. This is simply uh, not a a one-time and one-off kind of instance because it, it once again shows to us that there is no location, there is no detail, there is no circumstance that is outside of the view or the power of the Almighty. It is that you are seen by God. This is a picture of Jesus <clears throat> once again showing us that he loves his friends. <clears throat> Excuse me, got a frog in my throat this morning. <clears> throat> he loves his friends and he's willing, <clears throat> I'm getting there. <clears throat> and he's even willing to risk personal attacks to see them. Jesus doesn't have to go, there's nobody who can command Jesus to go to this town. Uh, there, there's, there's nothing that's forcing him to go this way, but he's going to risk personal attack because he loves these people. In, in verse 35, the shortest verse of the Bible, we see that Jesus weeps. There's only, you know, there's only a, 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 a small few moments that we get recorded in the life of Jesus where we see that he weeps. He weeps here at the tomb of Lazarus a man that He loves, a friend that He loves, that He is mourning His loss. And we see Jesus weeping over the city of Jerusalem when He gets ready to go into Jerusalem, knowing that He's gonna be arrested and He's gonna be crucified. Jesus comes into this circumstance with the idea that He's gonna console the grieving and He's going to resurrect the dead. It, it proves to us once again that if Jesus can do this, there's no problem in your life to which either God is blind or God is incapable. He knows everything that is happening to you now, and he knows everything that's gonna happen to you later. Every time you've gone to the doctor and you got unexpected news, it was to you, it was not to God. Every time that there was a broken place in your life that seemed to hit you out of nowhere, it it did hit you out of nowhere, but God (laughs) knew that it was coming, and, and if we had been tuned in, he would have been preparing us for it. In this instance, this family is going to go through a trying time. They're going to go through a test. But their test was going to become a testimony of God's glory on the earth. It was going to be turned around. Something that they thought was, there's no coming back from this. God was going to use it to display His great power and His great glory. And the same can be true in our lives as well, that the great testing that we traverse and we navigate through, becomes a place where God puts on a testimony of His own great glory. It says that Martha believed in Jesus' power. She believed that He would be heard by the Father in heaven. She believed that He had access in prayer to the Father in heaven. But Jesus wants to give her a greater understanding of what resurrection is all about that it is not just an ethereal theological concept that all of us at the end of days are going to stand before a judgment throne in heaven and that the righteous are going to rise to life and the unrighteous are going to be con- consigned to an eternal damnation uh, th- those are true statements that are uh, in the bible from beginning to end that uh, he wants to kn- he wants them to know that the resurrection is standing before them And that the glory of God is going to show up right there before them, that it's not something for later on, but it's something that's right now. And so Jesus reveals the eternal and hope filled glory of God. This resurrection means more than we can possibly imagine. In a devotional that he wrote entitled God is Always on Time, uh, the great uh, pastor of our day, uh, Rick Warren, wrote, Jesus wasn't late because Jesus already knew what he was going to do. His goal was not to heal Lazarus. His goal was to raise him from the dead. Jesus' goal was not to make Lazarus well. His goal was to do a miracle of astronomical proportions. You know, in your life, God is not interested in just getting you over the hump. He's not interested in you just lurching you know, from one crisis to another, He wants to do something of astronomical, spiritual proportions in your life so that He can display His glory. It is shown in his power to raise the dead to life. It is shown in his power to help you to defeat sins, temptation. It is shown in in your life when he is able to reestablish a relationship that you thought was intractably broken forever, a marriage that was on the rocks, and suddenly it becomes a showpiece of grace. It, It shows up time and time again. And the power is not something that Jesus has. This power is what Jesus is. He says, I am the resurrection and the life and His glory is often revealed in the most unexpected moments of life. Who thought, who could possibly think that the glory of God is going to show up at the period and at the moment in time where supposedly one of the closest friends of Jesus dies? When Jesus could have done something about it. He could have whisked His way into town, uh, said a few words, and boom, Lazarus would have gotten better. But instead, Jesus wants to display something more than just His ability to heal a physical body. He wants to display His resurrection power to a group of people. And so this is why faith is actually what matters in your life. Faith is what matters. We see faith show up in verse 16 when the guy that we run down historically all the time, Thomas, Because he wasn't there when Jesus rose from the dead. He was not with the the disciples that were left over. He was hiding somewhere else. And when they said, Thomas, we've seen Jesus, what does Thomas say? "I I won't believe unless I can put my finger in the wounds of his hands or in the wound of his side, I won't believe, until I can physically grab a hold of him. And for that, we call him Doubting Thomas. Of course, he then sees Jesus and he believes. But here's a real insight into the life of Thomas, where while he's walking with Jesus, he says, well, come on, fellas. I mean, if if we're all going to be real about this thing, let's all go to Jerusalem with him. Let's all risk our lives with him. Faith is what actually matters, Here in verse 26, when Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life, the one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then he asks the most probative, most important question that maybe Jesus asked. Do you believe this? That is the question that all of us have got to answer. Do we believe this? When Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, if you believe in me, you will not die Do you believe this? That is the defining answer for your entire existence. This is the one question that when you answer it, you have defined your life. Because you have defined whether or not you're going to believe in Jesus as the Son of God, the living Savior, the one who is risen from the dead, or whether you think he's a myth and a liar and a lunatic and a guy that was off his nut. That's Alabama coming out in me. Um, If Jesus is the resurrection and is resurrected from the dead, then nothing else matters. If Jesus is not the resurrection and is not resurrected from the dead, guess what? Nothing else matters. You can go live however you want. You can do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want with whoever you want to, anybody you want. If Jesus is not the resurrection, if what he said is untrue, and he really was a lunatic, and his body is still rotting away in a tomb in in Israel, and he's not risen from the dead, then nothing matters. Because there's no other religious leader who's ever been able to back up their claims either, and there's no religious leader who's ever risen from the dead to defeat sin and judgment. But if Jesus is the resurrection, and Jesus is resurrected, then there's really nothing else that truly matters. Leonard Ravenhill, one of the great preachers of history, said, there's only two kinds of people in the world, only two kinds, not black or white, not rich or poor, but those who are either dead in sin or dead to sin. Faith leads you to be embraced by the life of Jesus, that He is the resurrection and He has come on mission for you. God's glory at work in us is the key to having an actually meaningful life. It is not the size of your retirement account It is not whether or not you got the house on this side of the intercoastal waterway or the other side of the intercoastal waterway. It it is not the size of your car. It is not the wealth that you have amassed. It is not the reputation that you hold in the community. It is through the glory of God at work in your life that you find meaning because that is what is eternal. Everything else that you've got is not. It is gonna fall out of fashion. It is going to rust away. It's going to be taken away. It is is going to be forgotten. And faith leads us to a life of service and, and leads us to a life of meaning alongside of Jesus. It squeezes out our complaining about what we don't have, our perceived losses, because it recognizes who we have gained. And the people of faith are so busy serving the King of glory that they don't want to waste their time on sin and on complaining. Uh, But instead, they are consumed that this Jesus really is the resurrection and the life. and, And that in Him, we find hope, we find spiritual healing, and we find meaning for our everyday lives. Let's pray together.